Welcome one and all to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend, and I hope you spent the weekend, or at least a night or so this weekend, sleeping in your nice, warm bed, which is a luxury that I did not get to have last night. So, for those of you unaware, Kamaru Usman, the William Penn alum, or not really William Penn alum, he went to William Penn, left William Penn after a year, because from what I've been told, or what I've heard, the wrestling coaches left him at the <laughs> the hotel. So, rightfully so, he was pissed off and left. So, the pride of Penn, Kamaru Usman, defeated Jorge Masvidal in two rounds with a devastating punch to the chin, shattering his brain cells everywhere, making him look like a galaxy after he got done with him. After Masvidal said that Usman can't punch and is one of the weaker punchers he's ever faced throughout his career. And Usman dominated the fight. The first round, I guess you could say, was really close. Sorry. What is going on here? Jeez. We're having some technical difficulties here on the Logan Blackman Show. Something we never usually have. Man, can I, we've never had a technical difficulty here on the Logan Blackman Show. But, yeah, last night was a big UFC card. Not a single match on the main card went to the third round. We had some devastating injuries. We had Chris Weidman snapping his shin against Uriah Hall. Terrible injury. 17 seconds in. The first bit of action in the fight. And snap goes his shin. And then to make matters worse, he landed on it. And his little foot curved up underneath it. It was one of the... It was not fun to watch. And I only watched it once. I've watched it one time. And that's it. I have not gone to, <laughs> I've not looked at the replays. I have stayed far away from those things because I hate watching those things. And I remember very well, as most of you listening to the show probably do, of Kevin Ware snapping his leg for Louisville. I remember sitting there in my Nana and Papa's house with my dad and my papa watching this game. And I was looking down at my phone. And my dad goes, I think he just broke his leg. And the thing is, I was didn't see it. So... The crazy part about Kevin Ware's situation, for those of you unaware, the benches at this place were lowered, so their eyes were at court level. So I think they were playing Duke, if I remember correctly, Louisville Duke, and the eyes of the Duke players, if it was Duke, I could be mistaken about this, were eye level with his leg snapping. Oh, oh, you're scarred for life. That'd be a miserable, miserable sight to see. And I watched the replay, I've seen the replay, I've seen all the pictures, duh. Skosten. Absolutely horrific injury. Uriah Hall injured and devastating injury. 17 seconds into the fight. Crazy. And then Crute, I think is his name, was fighting Anthony Smith. And Anthony Smith delivered a nice kick to the back of his knee and it basically shut down his knee. So he was basically rendered useless. His whole leg went numb. And he couldn't really move. He went for a takedown right after it happened because he could not stand there anymore. It was a fun night. Short card. Short main card because of how fast everything was going. Again, no fight lasted until the third round of this USC, UFC card. And after the card was over, me and a few friends drove up to Cedar Falls to play, hang out with some friends to watch the fights. And the, goal, the original plan was to drive up there and spend the night. And then go home in the morning. You know, the lo- you would think the logical thing to do. 
But no, everybody that went up there, we had two cars that came from Des Moines. Both of them, the people that were driving, I did not drive, said they wanted to, they were going to drive home that night. So I was like, okay. So I shot my dad a text around 1030. We just got done texting about the uh, Chris Weidman injury. So I was like, oh, he's probably still awake. And it's Saturday. They're probably hanging out with friends or something at 1030 right now. So I was like, hey, there's a rumor that we could be coming home early. Could you leave the garage door unlocked? So I was, he didn't respond, but I was like, maybe he did. Maybe he did it. And then 12 o'clock comes around. Hey, we're coming home. Just shooting you another text, letting you know for sure. So don't be scared when the garage door opens. I get home around 2, 2, 10, 2.20 last night. And to my dismay, as Preston drives into my neighborhood, I'm like, I'm going to be so nervous if I see those lights are off. We turn the corner and those lights are off. Oh no, I said. Very loudly, oh no. Open the garage door. Shut the garage door. Open the door. Psych, says the door. You're not coming in this house tonight. And I am stuck in the garage. And I shoot my dad a text message. I'm not expecting him to answer it. I say, hey, if you're awake, can you come unlock the door? And then I call him. And apparently, he didn't even see that I called him. And his phone fell on the floor, is the story I have been told. I think they just didn't care that I was standing outside in the garage, not being able to get inside the house. I don't have a key. We took my car to the uh, body shop to get an oil change. So I didn't have my keys with me. They're at the shop. So I'm stuck in the garage. So I have to, uh, uh, what does Bear Grylls say? Just adapt and overcome, essentially. I can't remember the exact things he says, but I had to adapt. I'm stuck in this garage. I have had two Arnold Palmers and a full body armor. So I am, oh man, pain is how I would describe my midsection during that. And also ate some very bad food as well. I mean, not bad food, but bad for you. It was delicious food. We went to Peppers up in Cedar Falls. Delicious stuff. If you ever up in Cedar Falls, go there, get the pepper jack sticks. They are the best mozzarella sticks money can buy. They're delicious. And they're good. They're great. But bad for you. Very bad for you. The food we had was very bad for you. Had snacks along the day as well. Had peanut butter M&Ms. Had Swedish fish. So I was I was not the healthiest I've ever been last night. So then my stomach starts rumbling in that way as well. And I'm assuming most of you understand where I'm going when I say my stomach was rumbling in that way. Yes. I had to take a shite. But what am I going to do in the middle of a garage? This doesn't really... My situation is worsened. I was locked out of the house. I have to go pee, and now I have to go take a dump. And I can't do that because I'm stuck in a garage with seemingly no way out. So, thankfully, I still had my body armor bottle and almost filled that sucker up to the brim before I decided to sleep in my mom's car. The back... I. The trying to figure out which spot would be the most comfortable was a very difficult task to do because I like sleeping in the car, but not when I'm having to go to sleep. Like, I like car rides. Like, you get what I mean? Like, not into a deep sleep. I like sleeping in the car, like going on car rides so I can fall asleep in the car. I don't normally do that, but I like it because the, the nice rumblings of the road makes you fall asleep. It's like a nice constant feeling that'll help you fall asleep. Not when you're not moving and you're trying to fall asleep for real, for real, for real. 
as Uzi says. To quote the great Lil Uzi Vert. So I just laid down in the back seat, and it's, I mean, I'm six foot, six one, somewhere around there. So I'm not fitting very comfortably here, and there's no pillows, there's no blankets, because why would there be? And all the blankets that are in the garage, I don't want to use, because they were either used for my dog Bear to take him to places in the back of my dad's truck so it's covered in dog hair and bone residue, or... They're just covered in dust, and I'm not really trying to bring that in my mom's car and then cover myself with it. Because I don't know what has festered on that blanket since it has last been moved. I don't want to try that. So I covered up with a child's sweatshirt that my mom's probably been trying to take to Goodwill for the past year and a half or something like that. But it just it's found a permanent residence in the back of my mom's car. And it doesn't look like it's moving anytime soon. I had a shirt as well that covered my legs. Thankfully, I had an overnight bag. That I was going to bring up to Cedar Falls. But I still have my house up in Cedar Falls. So I don't have the normal stuff. I don't have toothbrush, toothpaste, all that stuff. I just had extra pair of clothes. So I didn't have a towel either. Because again, my house is in Cedar Falls. I have towels there. I don't need to bring that. I just bring clothes. So I decide, okay, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm attempting to fall asleep. I wake up probably an hour, a little less than an hour later. I have to go pee again. Thankfully, it wasn't that bad because I think I got up fast enough to where it was like, ah, I don't know, I don't, it's not really the worst pee in the world. So I managed to fill the rest of the bottle up without it flowing over, which was very, very nice. And then we get to about five o'clock at this point, maybe four thirty, five o'clock, somewhere around there. I think I woke up twice. The set, the first time I woke up, I just decided to watch a YouTube video and try to doze back off to sleep. In this very uncomfortable position I've kind of folded myself into in the back of my mom's car. And not in like the backpack where there's like nothing down there. No, that stuff's full of stuff, again, that she's trying to take the goodwill that's been in the back of the car for about a year and a half or something like that. I'm laying down in the back seat. It's not very comfortable laying down in the back seat when you have no blankets, no pillows, no nothing like that. Very uncomfortable, especially with how you're laying down there. My legs are all folded up. I look like a freaking scorpion. Like, you know the scorpion pose when people face plant on the ground, their legs come up and touch the back of their head? That was essentially what I was laying like in the back of my mom's car trying to go to bed. And then we get to five. And I'm having to go to the bathroom again. I hear the birds chirping. And usually my dad gets up around 530 with the dog with our dog Poppy to go downstairs take Bear and Poppy for a walk and all that stuff. So I kind of just pace around the garage because now my stomach is very, very bad. Like It's not agreeing with me whatsoever. I, I am almost at a loss for words at this point. Actually, I am at a loss for words. And I'm knocking on the door. Nothing happens. I was like, are they dead? Did they just die? And I'm just stuck out here in the middle of this, the locked garage? Like, I thought shutting the door of my mom's car would wake them up, or at least let them know, oh, someone's in the car, in the garage, because their bedroom's right above our garage. So I was like, uh, this will make enough noise, one would assume. The garage door would rumble a little bit, maybe that would wake them up. Nope, nothing happened. So I start assuming the worst, that they are dead. Thankfully, they are not. They are both alive and well. So I call my dad around, let's check the timetable, because I, I mean, I called my dad, so I've got the phone call still on my phone. And it was at 5.53 a.m. My first call was at 2.25, and I called him later at 5.53. 
And he finally answers. And then my mom comes downstairs and lets me in the house. And she says, oh, this is such a weird time for you to get home. Why are you coming home at 5 o'clock in the morning? Well, mom, I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't say that, though. I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sprinted to the bathroom. Unloaded, I guess you could say. And contemplated my life decisions at this point in time. I have slept three in a three very uncomfortable hours in the back seat of my mom's car after watching the Pride of Penn knock out Jorge Masvidal, which I think a lot of people expected Usman to win that fight. Maybe not like that, but you expected him to win the fight. He's a much better fighter overall than Jorge Masvidal. No disrespect to Jorge, it's just about how good Kamaru Usman is and that he went to William Penn and that edge will keep him above everybody for the foreseeable future, one would assume. So I was pumped from that, and then I get home, and, uh, crap. So I eventually, after going inside and unloading in the bathroom, I go upstairs and go to bed, in my actual bed, not the back of my mom's car. And I wake up around 10.45, 11, sometime around there. And then proceed with the normal day. But, oh my god, it was miserable for that first hour I was awake. Oh man, it took me to lunchtime to finally get reacclimated to everything that was going around me. Because it sucked. It was miserable. My head hurt. My neck hurt. My back hurt. My knees hurt. Everything hurt. I felt like I was 80 years old. No, it was just the fact that I slept in a very uncomfortable car in a very uncomfortable position. I thought about just sleeping on the floor of the garage, but again, I had no blankets. I had nothing. I'm not sleeping on... I mean, the car was not comfortable. I would imagine... I've never done this before, but I would imagine sleeping on rock-hard concrete, cold concrete, while I'm wearing shorts, would not be the most pleasant way to spend an evening. Thankfully, I had a sweatshirt. Because it was decently warm Saturday. It was, it was pretty warm, so I was just like, oh, I'll wear my long sleeve shirt and be cool about it. But I'll bring a sweatshirt just in case. Thankfully, I did that. Because, good lord, I would have probably, even though it was just below 40 degrees, which is not terrible, it's not that fun in the middle of the night in a cold garage, which is normally the coldest place of a house regardless. That in the basement. I guess it depends on where, what time of the year it is. But usually the garage is the coldest place in the house because there's no heating in there. There's no nothing in there. It's just elements. Garage. You're in the elements while also being sheltered from the elements at the same time. Like, you're, you're, you're basically outside without being outside. You're definitely not in the house. You're in this weird uh, purgatory where you're not comfortable, but you're not dying outside. You get what I'm saying? That, that's, that's kind of the situation I was in last night. And I thought that would be a very fun way to open up today's show because it was a, I've never done that before. Usually my loving parents open the door or answer the phone when I call them. And I did tell them I was coming home because I just assumed... I just got done talking to my dad on the on through text message that he responded to about seven minutes prior to me sending, hey, there's a rumor we might be coming home. Could you leave the garage door unlocked? It was not unlocked. And Logan slept in the garage for three hours. <laughs> Thankfully, we got back inside. Because I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to play it out and have my parents like wake up. Because I, I was barely going to be functioning for the first... The AM hours of the day. I was not going to be functioning that much 
And I wanted them or my dad to go like, oh, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to take Kristen's car to go get her a car washed or something like that. And I'm just chilling in the back seat. (laughs) It's like one of those mob movies where the mobster is right behind the driver and he chokes him out with that cord and goes, you're breaking my heart. Something along those lines. That's what it would have been like. And I'd probably get punched or something or hit with something like, oh, my God, there's a homeless dude sleeping in our car. Get hit with a wooden bat. <laughs> that wouldn't feel very good. It's not very the greatest way to wake up, one would assume, especially when it's by your own parents. But <laughs> I digress. So kids, if you're listening out there, and you're watching a William Penn statesman fighter beat the living shit out of somebody, make sure you tell your parents you're going to be home earlier. And make sure you communicate with the people that are responsible of getting your <laughs> getting your ass home That we are, are we staying here or are we leaving? (laughs) Because it could screw up your night. And most, probably your entire day as well. Thankfully, I recovered. I have now functioning. I'm a functioning adult at this point in time. And it's 6.25 here on Sunday, April 25th. And we are alive and kind of well at this point. I popped a Tylenol around 2 today. So I think that's, I'm on the high of the Tylenol right now. Only one. Because I took an allergy pill this morning because my allergies have been through the freaking roof. But Tylenol's been nice. It has been a nice 20 minute or so segment here for the Logan Blackman show. It's something different again. But it's, it's a warning sign to all you children out there. Make sure you tell your parents not to lock the garage door. And make sure... Yeah, just make sure you have loving parents that <laughs> will answer their phones. Oh, man. What are we even going to talk about today, other than the trauma of me sleeping outside in the car? Oh, such a miserable experience. Oh, my God. We got a draft coming up Thursday. Yes, we are oh so close to the 2021 NFL Draft, and it is so exciting. we got so much rumors kicking off. Oh, man. Silly season is in full swing at this point in time, and it is beautiful. I love silly season. It's the greatest time of the year. But you also overthink things like, well, I heard this thing, I heard this thing. And the one thing right now that's going, I heard this thing, I heard this thing, is circling around the San Francisco 49ers and their quarterback situation. Apparently, they have narrowed down their quarterback search. Oh, my God. They have finally decided. They traded up and then decided who they were going to draft with the third overall pick. Now, obviously, that has not been released. But there has been some speculation around the the sports world, I guess, about who it could be. From what I can tell, from everything that I've read, from the people that are connected to all these scouts and teams and all this stuff and agents and all that, it is between Mac Jones and Trey Lance at this point in time. Now, that could all change, but everything I've read, and, and unless you're a fan out there who loves Justin Fields, and I love Justin Fields myself, But from what I've seen, it's between Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Whether you like that or not, because I know Justin Fields has a very very big fan base, very broad fan base, and right, wrong, or otherwise, he's been one that's kind of, I would say more in the wrong part, about this guy, when the season ended, was the number two quarterback. Some had Zach Wilson still at number two. Some had him at number three. He was number two or three. Now, he might be four or five. (laughs) 
due to really nothing changing on his end. I don't know if things have gotten out that we're not hearing about or if the epilepsy thing's a real thing, which it shouldn't be because he's played with it his entire life and never really had an issue with it to this point in time. But yeah, it's Trey Lancer and Mac Jones. I get the connections with Justin Fields. We've made those connections here on the show, I think, two or three times. But that's those are just that's just it. Connections. It's not actually anything from Michael Lombardi to Adam Schefter to Ian Rappaport to Rich Eisen. It's between those two. Mac Jones or Trey Lance. And if I'm the 49ers, if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm John Lynch, I'm both of them combined, I'm John Shanahan, I am drafting Trey Lance. I think he'd fit more of what you want to do. You don't trade up that much, in my opinion. You trade up for difference makers. And where there's good and bad things to both of these players. Like, if you were to look just at Mac Jones, let's just do this thing. Let's look at Mac Jones real quick. Mac Jones is perceived to be the smartest quarterback in this draft. He's very quick at processing. He's a great teammate, great leader, extremely smart. Very accurate. Pinpoint accuracy. I heard a phrase he was a he was a surgeon with his accuracy. Like he can fit the ball in all these tight windows and he can make every single throw on the field. But then I also saw a thing that said he had the most checkdowns in college football last year, the most screen passes last year, which Alabama, to be fair, did run a lot of screen plays through Devontae Smith. You saw that a lot towards the latter parts of the season. Devontae Smith would turn a negative two-yard game, because that's what screen passes are, to a 20-yard game like that. He kind of took the role in Jalen Waddle in that sense, because that was Jalen Waddle's routes. And we've talked about this. Jalen Waddle, you can hate me about this all you want. Jalen Waddle was better than Devontae Smith until he got hurt. Jalen Waddle was more likely to win the Heisman Trophy before he got hurt, before he broke his ankle or fractured his ankle, dislocated his ankle, whatever, in Week 5 against Tennessee, than Devontae Smith was. And with Waddle out, Devontae balled out. And I don't want to take anything away from Devontae Smith. He's one of my favorite players I've watched in college football. He's a great route runner. He's a very fun person to listen to when he does talk. Which, oh geez. Which is something I like too. He lets his game do the talking more than anything. Which is really cool. I don't care about his size thing. I mention that because that's what scouts are going to talk about. His size thing. I mean, he's played small his entire life to do just one the Heisman Trophy at Alabama in the toughest conference of college football. So, and he hasn't had any injury problems to this point. I mean, he broke his finger in the national championship game, but that's it, to my knowledge. And Jalen Waddle broke his ankle. So, I mean, you could look at that in both ways. I rank Jalen Waddle above Devontae Smith as a prospect because I think Jalen Waddle can do more things, and he is a little bit bigger than Devontae Smith as far as weight goes. Like Jalen Jalen Wall, I think is one eighty five. Devontae Smith weighed one sixty six or something like that. That's a nineteen pound difference right there. That's a pretty sizable difference. And Jalen Waddle is faster. And that's not again. I'd like to stress this. It's not saying anything bad about Devontae. It's more about how good I think Jalen Waddle is and what he could be at the next level. But back to the 49ers thing with Mac Jones. Mac Jones, I believe, even though they played the same number of games. 17, Trey Lance and Mac Jones have started the same number of games in college. Mac Jones has played tough for competition and has played a consistent schedule more recently than Trey Lance has. Trey Lance played one game in 2020 against Central Arkansas. Mac Jones played a full season plus three or four games towards the latter parts of last season when Tua got hurt or the season before last season. 
So that's where you get the, oh, he's more ready to play. Trey Lance hasn't really played in two years, or a year and a half, or a year, whatever you want to call it. So that's where you get the rawness factor. And then Trey Lance is playing at North Dakota State, which is the Alabama of the FCS, but the FCS is the FCS. Some people take a lot into that. (laughs) There's a lot of people that dislike the FCS and think it's a terrible brand of football. It's not. You got to actually watch the FCS. It's a very enjoyable brand of football, especially when Trey Lance was running the show at North Dakota State. Balled out. Arguably the best freshman season in FCS history, something like that. It was a ridiculous season. 1,000 plus yards rushing, 2,800 yards passing, 28 passing touchdowns. 11, what was his rushing touch? 15 rushing touchdowns, zero turnovers. Like, dude, crazy season. And with Trey Lance, the North Coast State Bison run a similar style offense to what Kyle Shanahan runs in the San Francisco 49ers, what he has done throughout his entire career. Run-oriented teams. You look at Washington. I mean, the only time he really didn't have a run-oriented team or where they could gash you a shorter pass was when he was in Atlanta because you had Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley. I mean, Calvin was Calvin Ridley there at the time? No. But Matt Ryan. And you had Devontae Freeman there as well. So you had a running game, and Tevin Coleman was there as well. And Washington, you had Alfred Morris. You had RG3, who I know his dad, Mike Shanahan, didn't want. That was more of a uh, crap. I'm forgetting the owner's name. We just talked about him the other day. Daniel Snyder. It was more of a Daniel Snyder move than anything. Wasn't a coaching decision. That's why they drafted Kirk Cousins in the later rounds of the draft. I think the fourth or fifth round. You traded up a lot. You gave up a lot to get Robert Griffin the third, and you drafted Kirk Cousins in the later rounds. You could smell something was up from the jump, and then when RG3 was getting hurt, it was over. Shanahan's didn't want RG3. That was a Daniel Snyder thing. But you know who makes the decisions in the draft? Owners and GMs. Coaches kind of have to work with what they're given to a certain extent. Now, some GMs and coaches have a great relationship where they can bounce off each other. Like Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, just an example. I know it's the Bills, but they have a great working relationship. And they bounce ideas off each other. It's not Brandon Bean going, okay, we're going to draft this guy, Sean, you figure out how to do it, like Ryan Pace has done in Chicago. We're like, okay, yeah, John, we're going to draft Jamal Adams for your defense, and then goes, psych, we're drafting Mitchell Trubisky second overall. We're trading up to get him after we just signed Mike Glennon to a three or $45 million contract or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact specifications of the contract for Mike Glennon. And for Shanahan, back to Mac Jones, if you look at the quarterbacks that he's had the most success with, and the one I think he's liked the most was Kirk Cousins. You have Kirk Cousins, you have Matt Ryan, you have Jimmy G. Mac Jones would be an upgrade on Jimmy G, and if you do draft Mac Jones, that would be the end of Jimmy Garoppolo's in San Francisco. I don't know where he'd go, but he would not be the San Francisco 49ers starting quarterback if Mac Jones were to come in. If Trey Lance comes in, Kyle Shannon, or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo stays the starter in San Francisco for at least that one season, which is all he's got left on his contract, if I'm not mistaken, or they can opt out of the contract towards the end of the year. I can't remember exactly. But that's where you keep Trey Lance in there. And then you have George Kittle there, who he had a great relationship with his tight end, Noah Gindorf, at North Dakota State. Great stuff there. You have a fast wide receiver on the outside, Debo Samuel, also Brandon Ayuk. He had Phoenix Sproles while at North Dakota State. They're roommates. Great relationship between those two. Run-first offense or run-oriented offense. Trey Lance was the main cog in that. 
Like watching North Dakota State this year versus last year, it's a completely different team, and they're not going to win the national championship. I wouldn't assume they're going to because very one-dimensional offense. They don't look anywhere as good on offense. Now, they do not have Dylan Radunes, and that's a big factor as well. Losing a starting left tackle is big for your team. You and I lost Spencer Brown, and that cut out a lot of things from their offense. Their offensive line was borderline you can, below average this season. Battle a lot of injuries. Spencer Brown's gone. Like, you got to battle a lot of things here. But if I'm the 49ers, I would draft Trey Lance. And from what it sounds like, teams are th- people are starting to think Trey Lance. But then there's some people that are also like, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Mac Jones. But I guess reports say that Kyle Shanahan met with Trey Lance and his family. Kyle Shanahan had Jordan Matthews, a former 49ers player, run routes for Trey Lance. The 49ers have been the most hands-on with these pro days. And the timing of the pro day or the trade up was right after Trey Lance's pro day and right after Mac Jones's pro day. And then the situation comes in if they draft Trey Lance, which is again what I would do. Where does Mac Jones fall in this situation? Does he go? Where does he go? The obvious fits the New England Patriots, but what if he doesn't go to New England? What if New England thinks they can get Kellen Mond and fit that more running style, not running style, but more mobile quarterback in later rounds and draft a wide receiver, which is a big team need for the Patriots, especially after Julian Edelman just retired and then will eventually unretire and sign with the Buccaneers like we all expect him to do. But at this point in time, he's retired. (laughs) That could happen. Does the do the Bears trade up for Mac Jones? Do the Washington football team trade up for Mac Jones? Doubt it, but they could. Do the Saints trade up for Mac Jones? They give up all their draft picks. I think they got four picks this year. It's crazy. I think we have a general idea of where Justin Fields is gonna go. I don't think he'll fall that far past three. I'm not saying he'll go four. I don't think he'll go to the Falcons. I think the Falcons, if they're drafting a quarterback, is Trey Lance or Bust, as we talked about during the last show. I don't think they're drafted Mac Jones. I don't think they're drafted Justin Fields. I think if it's the Falcons at four, Trey Lance goes three, Kyle Pitts goes four. We talked about that a lot last show. What teams could do in their draft. If you haven't listened to the show, go back and listen to it, and we'll go over each team in the 2021 NFL draft and tell you what they could slash should do with their picks. More could because my opinion does not matter when it comes to the NFL draft. I'm not in any war rooms. I'm not telling any teams what to do. I don't have any sources, so in my opinion, doesn't really matter. It's about what I read and how things sound as we get closer to the 2021 NFL Draft, which, again, is on Thursday. Exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. Oh, man. Who do you think the 49ers should draft? I think Trey Lance, but it still, at this point in time, I still kind of lean towards Mac Jones more than anything, but it I would draft Trey Lance. I think he fits their run... There's run style of offense where they could do a lot of RPOs and stuff out of that where Trey Lance can move around. They have a lot of wider, good young wide receivers that are very fast. They can hit a lot of underneath routes. Got George Kittle there, the biggest safety net in the NFL next to Travis Kelsey. Like, it's perfect. Uh, your uh, offense is automatically uplifted by Trey Lance once you get him as the full-time starter the next season. Because right now, we already know Jimmy Garoppolo, if Trey Lance is there, is going to be the starting quarterback. For the number 49ers. At least we would assume they could go out and get somebody in free agency or they could throw Trey Lance out into the Wolves, kind of like what the Bills did with Josh Allen. Nathan Peterman sucked dick in his first game against the Ravens. 
posted a 0.0 QBR. Josh Allen gets forced in and has to start week two, even though people said he needed a full season to learn and develop. And then now look what Josh Allen's doing right now. So that that could be their strategy here. I don't know what they're going to do. I, nobody really knows what the 49ers are going to do, but they made their decision, and it's between, to me, Mac Jones and Trey Lance. I think it should be Trey Lance, but I still could imagine or see Mac Jones being the pick there. Makes a lot of sense with Mac Jones. Fits what Kyle Shanahan has had at quarterback, but, man, that's the weird thing about Mac Jones like, if Trey Lance doesn't go three, we have a general idea where he could go. We don't think he'll fall outside the top ten. Same thing with Justin Fields. Mac Jones, if he doesn't go three, he could go anywhere in the first round. I think there's about a range he could go. I think he won't fall past 15. I think the Patriots would eventually trade up to get him. But if they don't, he won't fall past 15. If he's available there, they'll take him. Unless, again, they trade up. But that's the weird part about this. If it's not... Mac Jones at three, where does Mac Jones go? Like, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are not falling that far out of the top ten, if at all. I doubt they fall out of the top ten at all. Jones could go anywhere, which makes this even a little bit more peculiar why they would trade up for Mac Jones. But I've talked about Mac Jones a lot on this show. I've talked about all quarterbacks, to be fair, on this show a lot. And I've defended Mac Jones because a lot of people on social media, because social media is a very angry place with a lot of angry people, and... I've defended Mac Jones because I think Mac Jones deserves defending because he's a good quarterback. I don't think we should bash him before he's played the NFL. Oh, man, we're going to hate this if the 49ers draft him. All 49ers fans crying on Twitter that they could draft Mac Jones. Oh, my God, you think they're drafting freaking, I don't know, Davis Mills at three. And Davis Mills could turn out to be a great quarterback, but value-wise, it would be a terrible pick to pick Davis Mills at three. I think Davis Mills, in his mind, thinks he wants to. he should go third. I would not draft Davis Mills at three. That's my hot take of the day. So without with just going off that, going off the other quarterbacks in the draft, I have compiled my top 10 players for each position in the 2021 NFL draft. And I made a really cool bra- graphic about this. It's got Panay Sewell, Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell, Trevor Lawrence, Michael Parsons, Quiddy Pegg, Caleb Farley. Oh, it's a great graphic. Ah, you'll love this graphic. When I, well, I've already posted, I guess, on Snapchat and Instagram, but... So, yeah, go follow me on Instagram, Logan underscore Blackman on Instagram, or Blackman Logan. Logan underscore Blackman is my Twitter, so go follow Twitter as well. Blackman Logan on Instagram. The Logan Blackman Show 1 is also my Instagram. That's my show account. Blackman Logan is my personal account. Go like the Facebook page. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to the Apple Podcast and Apple Podcast account, or Spotify and Apple Podcast account, and give it a rating. Greatly appreciate it. So, here is my top 10 players by each position. Then I released... At the very bottom of this, a top 50. It's not really a top 50. It's more of 50 players, the best 50 players in the draft, not in any order. But I could give you a top three. I think the top three players in the draft are Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase. That's been on my top three for the past month and a half. We haven't changed the top three whatsoever. The rest of it could change, and I don't really want to compile an entire list of ranking 50 players, so I just put them all in their position groups. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, interior lineman, D-tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, and safety, and put 50 on there. So it's not an actual, oh, we're ranking these top 50 players. We ranked the players on position, but they're not ranked in the top 50, okay? Does that make any sense? Yeah. So for the quarterbacks, I think the top five, the top five hasn't changed at all, really. 
I mean, I put a 2A and 2B next to Fields and Wilson, but that's been the only change. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, 2A, 2B. Trey Lance, Mac Jones. And then the rest of it, I have Kyle Trask from Florida, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, Sam Ellinger, Jamie Newman. The thing with Jamie Newman, I have a very hard time to figure out where he wants to go or where I could put him because he only really played one season at Wake Forest, transferred to Georgia, didn't play, and now there's kind of a mystery about what Jamie Newman's stock could be because last year before he transferred to Georgia, or right after he transferred to Georgia, it was like, oh, he's a first-round draft pick, which was kind of confusing. I didn't really get the whole first-round draft pick thing for Jamie Newman, but it was out there. I don't know where he's going to go. And I like him, but I have to put him at 10 because I think he deserves a spot in the top 10, but I don't really know where, so I just threw him at the bottom of the list. Ellinger, I think he's a very similar mold to that of Tim Tebow. I think, especially last season, he proved this a lot last year, he was suspect in the first three quarters, but in the fourth quarter, he'd ball out. He'd lead Texas through all these comebacks or close games and bring them back into the game. Saw it against Oklahoma State. You saw it against Oklahoma. You saw it, I think, against Texas Tech. Like, you saw this a lot last season with Sam Ellinger. But the first three quarters was weird. I like Sam Ellinger a lot, but I couldn't really put him anywhere above nine. You could throw Shane Bichelle. You could have Ian Book. You could have Brady White from Memphis on this list if you really wanted to. But I think those two are the bottom. And the Davis Mills, 11 games a starter. Haven't really done a lot of research on him. He's looked good in the little bit that I've seen on a pretty bad Stanford team. I know they were, I think they were four and two last year, but not great over the past few seasons. He did beat out Kevin Ho or no KJ Costello, who transferred to Mississippi State, who could also be on this list. But I think his confidence is there. He impressed people this forty yard dash time. He's accurate. He's mobile, but he's inexperienced. He's played eleven games in college, which is two less than Mitchell Trubisky, but Trubisky showed a lot more in those 13 games than Davis Mills did in those 11 games. And I've heard that he could be sneaking into the first round as a project piece. I've ironically heard the Bears say they like David Mills, Davis Mills, not from the Bears themselves, not from Ryan Pace, but I would not be surprised. It's more from Pete Prisco from CBS Sports saying that the Bears could be interested in with that 20. And then Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, you could flip these two around if you wanted to. Kellen Mond's a lot more mobile than Trask. But I think Trask has a better arm and had an overall better season than Kellen Mond last season. Like put up insane numbers while at Florida and put up some ridiculous games against Arkansas and Ole Miss. Even Alabama, even though he got outplayed by Mac Jones, Kyle Trask is a beast. And I really like Kyle Trask, but I have to rank him one spot below Mac Jones in these rankings in the top five. I don't really need to explain the top five that much. Running backs... Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, 1A, 1B. Javante Williams, Michael Carter, 3 and 4, and Trey Sermon, 5. That's been the same throughout the entire thing. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis at 6. Jarrett Patterson at 7. Chubba Hubbard, I've still, I just call him that. I don't. I know it's probably not the correct way to pronounce his name, but I just think it's funnier to say. Uh, Javion Hawkins from Louisville and Kay- Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. For Jarrett Patterson, I want to kind of sim through these because I didn't really, I went a little bit longer on the quarterbacks than I wanted to. I'll just talk about Jarrett Patterson and Chubba Hubbard. Chubba Hubbard obviously had that 2,000-yard season a couple seasons ago and had an interesting season, as Oklahoma State did as a whole, last season. They had a lot of expectations. They brought back a lot of people. Chubba Hubbard, was it was kind of a shocker that he came back to college because I think he said he wanted to win the Heisman or attempt to win the Heisman and then didn't come close. So 
I'm intrigued by that. His draft stock dipped a little bit, but I still think he's a really good running back. And Jarrett Patterson, he put up some insane numbers for Buffalo last year. He had an over 400-yard-plus rushing game, if if I'm not mistaken. I tried to watch as much Buffalo as I could because they're my MAC team, obviously, the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bulls. Have a few Bulls sweatshirts and shirts because my dad jumped on the bandwagon when they were in the NCAA tournament and bought, a, I think, a few Buffalo Bulls shirts. But Jarrett Patterson is a very, 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 very fun running back to watch. For wide receivers, uh, Jamar Chase at one. That's been the same throughout the entire process. Jalen Waddle, two. Devontae Smith, three, 2A, 2B. You can put him around wherever you want. Canarius Tony at four. My top fours pretty much stayed the same, and then fives kind of fluctuated. Uh, this time it's Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, more of a slot guy, but similar to that of Kadarius Tony, a little bit smaller than Tony, and maybe faster by a little bit, at least in the 40 times. But I don't think 40 time is very fair to judge a wide receiver's true speed because Jerry Rice didn't have a fast 40. He's the greatest wide receiver of all time. But he'd run away from people on the football field, but his 40-yard dash time wasn't great. Kadarius Tony ran a 4-4-1, which is still really fast, but not like how if you watched him on film, he makes some ridiculous plays on fi- on film where a play- no, most normal players cannot get out of that situation. He does and extends plays, and he's a versatile wide receiver, which is why I love. Versatility is a very big thing for me, and I like Elijah Moore in that ro- prospect as well. And Rondell Moore, who I have at 8 on this list, but... I would probably I put him higher, but he hasn't really played that much since I think his freshman year, where he balled out, but he's been hurt quite a bit, and I think he opted out towards the latter parts of the season this year. I'm, I could be wrong about that, but the injury thing's an issue, but he's a baller. I like Rondale Moore, smaller guy, like 5'7", I believe, but beast, but I put him just below Rashad Bateman at 6 and Terrace Marshall at 7 from LSU, then 9, Diami Brown from North Carolina and Amon Ross St. Brown at 10. Then we got Tutu Atwell that just missed out. Nico Collins from Michigan. Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. Cade Johnson from South Dakota State. Amari Rogers from Clemson. Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa. And Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. There's no order in that. It goes by last name, essentially, so it is an order. But, yeah, that's my top 10 for wide receivers. Tight ends, Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, Brevin Jordan from Miami. Hunter Hunter Long from Boston College. Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. That list has stayed the same the entire time. That's not changing anytime soon. And then Kenny Yaboa from Ole Miss. We have Trey McKitty from Georgia. Troy Poljan from Virginia. Noah, Ger- Noah Gray from Duke. And Kylan Granson from SMU. Is a little smaller for the tight end spot, but can catch the ball and make plays from the tight end position. But just kind of smaller. On the smaller end of the tight end spectrum for that. Off to tackle... Uh, Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, that's been the same. I put a question mark next to Slater because he could move to guard, but as a tackle, he's 1A or 1B in the tackle regard. He'd be number one unquestioning guard if they moved him there, but he's a beast at the tackle position. He obviously, the game against Ohio State, against Chase Young, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show, and you've heard that a lot. If you followed the draft and followed Rashawn Slater, you would have heard about the Chase Young game if you didn't watch it, and that's a great game to watch. Three, Christian Darrisaw from Virginia Tech. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State at four. Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame at five. I could flip back and forth between Jalen Mayfield from Michigan at six and Liam Eichenberg at five. But the thing is, I think Liam Eichenberg gives you a better right now 
tackle. If you look at what he's done at Notre Dame, a consistent starter for Notre Dame and has played a lot of football. Jalen Mayfield has not really done that. He's one of the younger tackles in this draft and has a lot of upside and a lot of versatility to play guard or tackle. I put it one of those guard question mark things next to him, but I put Eichenberg just above him. You could flip those two around if you really wanted to. It wouldn't affect me. Uh, Samuel Cosme from Texas at seven. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. I put a guard thing next to him as well. He had a really weird senior bowl, but he's the Outland Trophy winner for the best offensive lineman in the country. He's been a beast to Alabama for the past however many seasons. He could have come out last year, been a first-round draft pick. Now, questionable on whether he's first-round draft pick. He's a fringe first-round draft pick. Uh, nine, Dylan Radunes from North Dakota State. And then we have Walker Little from Stanford. Just missing out, I have Spencer Brown from UNI, Brady Christensen from BYU, and James Hudson from Cincinnati. Interior lineman goes Elijah Vera Tucker. I put a tackle question mark next to him because he's got a lot of versatility in his game as well, as a lot of these offensive linemen do. Uh, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, the center, followed by Creed Humphrey, another center. Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater, guard center, played guard at Wisconsin Whitewater, but I think a lot of people are expecting him to move to center. I just put Creed Humphrey above him because he's a more natural center, but a lot of people really like Quinn Miners coming from Wisconsin Whitewater. Love the little school guy coming through big, playing with all these big dogs. Wyatt Davis at five, coming off an ACL injury. I haven't seen his recovery. I've seen Landon Dickerson's recovery from since tearing his ACL, but time will tell on Wyatt Davis and Landon Dickerson in the long term. Uh, Deontay Brown from Alabama, again, the biggest dude I've ever seen play off the line, or at least one of them. Cut down a lot of weight for his pro day, which shows he's committed to the craft of being a in-shape off the lineman that can clog up a ton of our push make, not clog up, make a lot of rushing lanes for whoever drafts him, which would be very big. Trey Smith from Tennessee at 7, Josh Myers from Ohio State at 8, Aaron Banks from Notre Dame at 9, and Ben Cleveland from Georgia at 10. Now moving to the defense on the interior defensive line. Yeah, Christian Barmore, Levi Onruzuruki from Washington. We have Davion Nixon from Iowa at 4, or at 3, Jay Tufel from USC at 4, Osa Odingzua I don't know if I said that right. From UCLA at five, Alan McNeil from NC State at six, Marlon Tiwapulu, jeez, Tupilotu, Tupilotu, jeez, finally got it. From USC, Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech at eight, Marvin Williams from Florida State at nine, and Tommy Tongai slash Tyler Shelvin, Ohio State and LSU at number 10. Christian Barmore, because this is such a, this is the weakest position in the class, easily the weakest position in the entire draft class. That could boost Christian Barmore's draft stock even more because teams who need interior defense linemen will want to draft one earlier because they know they probably won't get a top-tier one in the later rounds. Like, you could get that in a lot of positions of this draft. Wide receiver, off to tackle. You could get a top-tier player in the later rounds and feel good about passing on one in the first round. I don't know if you could do that with interior defense linemen and D-tackles. Barmore is clear, and I think Levi... From Washington is clear at second, and then Davion Nixon, I think, is clear at third. I think the top three are set. The rest of them, you could put in any order. I don't know if this is the order they're going to get drafted in. <laughs> I doubt it, but the top three are set in stone. Barmore, Levi Onruzuruki, Onruzuruki on from Washington, and Davion Nixon from Iowa at three. That's pretty much set. Edge rusher, here's another position you could get one in the little later rounds and still feel confident about it, but the top of the draft is... A little bit better than the later picks, but you got Quiddy Pay from Michigan, 
Jalen Phillips from Miami, the injuries are an issue. He obviously retired from football two years ago, so we've got to talk about that a little bit. But Pro Day balled out, so you got to keep him up there near the top. But Pay is the fastest edge rusher in this draft based off film. He's got a lot of bend. He's very quick off the jump, even though his production is not as great as Phillips, Ojolari, Rosso. It's not as good as those guys, but production or upside speed is all there. He can also help in the run game as well. Then is Diz Ojolari from Georgia. Gregory Rosso hurt himself a little bit with his pro day, balled out two years ago while playing for Miami, had 15 and a half sacks, but pro day wasn't great. People are saying he's a little stiff, so maybe he just slides out of the first round completely instead of Jason Owe at five, who got zero sacks last season, but he's a constant threat in the pass game, not just getting to the quarterback and sacking him, but he applies pressure to the quarterback, makes a lot of very important plays. And like I said in the last mock draft, Neil Hunter had one half, one and a half sacks his last season at LSU, and he's one of the mo- one of the premier edge rushers in this entire draft. So you got to put that into effect that the, this is all we're getting ready. But his pro day, he balled out, and Jason Oway is, I think he's clear as a first round draft pick for the 2021 NFL draft. Next on the list, you got Joe Tryon from Washington. He was one of those other opt-outs from last season, but he is what people would call, if I could use the words, Greek God. Like, you have the the build of a Greek God. That's, that's how I would describe Joe Tryon from Washington. He had a great pro day, or a good pro day, and he is one that could be more of a later first-round draft pick. I would say the Bills would be a primo spot for him. He fits what the Bills do on defense when they look for edge rushers. I think he'd be that kind of fit for them. Can play as an outside linebacker. Has the build to play as a 3-4 D end, which again, is the defense the Bills run. I think he'd be great there. Ronnie Perkins is a similar style of D end to that. Played in a 4-3, but can play in a 3-4. Be a great addition for the Buffalo Bills if they could do him. I'm trying to pine for the Bills to get some. If they want to look at edge rushers, those are two I would definitely look at from the 30th pick. But you got Joseph Asai from Texas, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, and Rashad Weaver from Pitt. And you could alternate Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones, the two Pitt edge rushers. And then you got Quincy Roche from Miami. And Ellerson Smith, with his length and speed coming off the edge, will be a very underrated draft prospect coming up. And I also have, I, mean, I, I will say I'll, I'm biased because I am from UNI, did go there. So I'm going to be biased towards the UNI players. I have to at least mention Ellerson Smith in this draft process. Uh, for linebackers, I think the top goes pretty self-explanatory. Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa is right next to him. Very close together, those two are, from Notre Dame. And then you got Jamin Davis and Zayvon Collins. You could rotate at three or four. Wouldn't bother me. Two different styles of linebacker. Where With Zayvon Collins, you got a versatility factor there. Uh, they Like we've said a thousand times on the show, he's a linebacker with a defensive end's body with the uh, abilities of a safety. Jamin Davis is an athletic freak from the linebacker position. An absolute unit. Look at some of the pictures you popped up on Google with him. Without a shirt on, dude is yacked. Dude is shredded as a linebacker. Dude is fast, athletic linebacker. Look at his pro day. He balled out at his pro day. He's going to be one. I, I think you could have an argument for either one of them going above each other, but these are two very talented linebackers coming out of Kentucky and Tulsa. Two not very powerhouse programs when it comes to drafting players. Then you got Nick Bolton from Missouri, Jabril Cox from LSU, formerly of North Dakota State, one of the few bright spots 
on LSU's team from this past season. They got Chaz Surratt from North Carolina, Dylan Moses from Alabama. They always have good linebackers. It just seems like Alabama has a linebacker gets drafted every single year. It's just what it feels like. It may not be accurate, but that's what it feels like. Then you got Baron Browning from Ohio State, very athletic linebacker from Ohio State. And then Monty Rice from Georgia and Pete Werner from Ohio State take up that last spot at 10th. For cornerbacks, you got number one, Patrick Sertan II from Alabama. J.C. Horn is at number two from South Carolina. Crazy athletic. Look at some of the receivers he's locked up. I think the only receiver he's faced that got over 60 yards against him was Devontae Smith, which shows how good J.C. Horn is and shows how good Devontae Smith is as well. Caleb Farley at number three from Virginia Tech. He was my number 1A in most of my prospect list, but the back surgery will probably scare some teams off of him in the draft. And J.C. Horn, I think, even without that, I think teams started looking at him in a very favorable light, just mostly because of the fact Farley sat out of last year, and then this back surgery does not help Farley's case at all. But he's a great athlete, very raw for the cornerback position. Again, he's played multiple positions coming through football at Vautech and in high school. So I think his athletic abilities and makeup are there, and it's going to be insane for whoever gets him. They're going to get an absolute steal if his back is 100% healthy. Then you've got Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State, son of Asante Samuel, who played for the Patriots, Eagles, and I, one other team, I think the Falcons. Gotta love these juniors. You got a lot of these players in this draft, seemingly more than usual. Just two at the cornerback position, just thinking off the top of Asante Samuel Jr. and J.C. Horn, son of Joe Horn, wide receiver for the Saints. Like, there's some talented kids of former players, which is not usually the case. Usually the players' kids are not as good, and they have a lot of expectations heaped on top of them, but these guys, Horn is a lock first-round pick. Asante Samuel Jr. is almost like borderline lock first-round pick. Depends on how early Horn, or, uh, Farley and Greg Newsom the second from Northwestern go, because if teams pass on Farley or, Sir T- or um, Newsom later in the first round, Samuel could find himself falling out of the first round. They got Eric Stokes from Georgia, an absolute burner from the cornerback position. I think he ran a 4-2-9-40. He's been number five on most of my cornerback lists, but I put him just below Asante Samuel here. And then you've got Elijah Molden, who is a, a safety mix. A lot of people list him as a safety. Other people list him at corner, but he's a good player regardless in the secondary. Next corner on here after Elijah Molden, we have Ifatu. Meli Fonwu from Syracuse, really athletic corner from Syracuse. He's one that you could, a lot of these corners, I think everybody in this top 10 list finish it off with Tyson Campbell from Georgia and Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky, and then even Aaron Robinson from UCF could all find themselves in the first round. This is a very deep cornerback class, and a lot of these guys could fall into the first round, which is very, very exciting to see from the cornerback position with all these athletic wide receivers and the different ways people use wide receivers and weapons in their offense nowadays, you're going to need some very athletic corners. And all of these guys are very athletic. And all of them, which is, again, which is, just seems crazy to me, can all go in the first round. I would not be shocked if any of these guys went in the first round. I'd be shocked if the top four didn't go in the first round. But I wouldn't be shocked if all the other ones followed suit and made the first round. Pat Sertan, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, and Greg Newsom are all first-round draft picks. Rest of them, could very well be first-rounders. Then he also got Paulson Adebayo from Stanford and Sean Wade, who has also been talked about as a possible safety, as has Tyson Campbell from Georgia. I've heard both of them get mentioned a little bit 
in regards to switching over to safety. Time will tell on that one. Sean Wade stock dropped like crazy after he got brutalized by Alabama in the national championship game and had a very, very poor year from what the expectations were from him this year. And yeah, yeah, he's dropped himself out of the first round conversation and might find himself dropping all the way to something like the third or fourth round based off last season. He's very athletic though. Don't take anything away from his athletic ability, but he's a little smaller and didn't have a great season last year for his standard at Ohio State. So he's dropped down a little bit. And then at safety, not a great safety class, but it's a there's some good players here. So you got Trayvon Morig, the class of the the class, I guess the class of the safety class. Then you got Javon Holland from Oregon, Andre Sisco from Syracuse, who I believe was coming off a knee injury. So we'll see how that recovers if I'm remembering that correctly. Richie Grant from UCF is at number four. Hamsa Nasrul Dean from Florida State, safety linebacker hybrid, similar to that of Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, but listed as a safety, but can easily slot in at linebacker, kind of similar to what Shaq Lawson came out of Washington as safety, but built like a linebacker and probably could transition to linebacker at the next level. Time will tell, or he could be like Cam Chancellor and just kill tiny wide receivers from the safety spot. And Cam Chancellor, one of my favorite players ever in my lifetime, loved watching Cam Chancellor play. Then you got Jamar Johnson from Indiana, James Wiggins from Cincinnati, Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech, Talano, I've got these, I'm sorry I'm butchering these names, there's some hard names to pronounce, at least for me, I'm sorry, Hufanga from USC, and Ardarius Washington from TCU rounds out the safety list. Those people between I, four and two through four, Javon Holland, Andre Sisco, and Richie Grant, you could have them in really any order you want, but I think Javon Holland's just behind Trevon Morig. I some people put I've seen Tri- Richie Grant get listed as the best. I've seen uh, Javon Holland get listed as the best safety in this class. I've seen Maurice Jones Drew have Javon Holland going tenth to the Dallas Cowboys in his first mock draft. So okay, that's not gonna happen. But it was listed, so I thought I'd bring bring it up. It's not happening, but it, I had to bring it up. So that's the that is your top ten players from each position, and then some players that just missed out on their top 10 spots. If we're giving these classes grades, I'd give the quarterback class a B, running back class a B minus, the wide receiver class a plus, tight ends class a C plus, off to tackles a minus, interior off to lineman B to B plus, then you got interior D lineman C minus, then you've got edge rushers B plus, linebackers B, corners A minus, because again, like I said, you can draft any of these corners in the first round and it wouldn't look that out of place. And then safeties, C+. It's a strong draft. I don't know if it's as strong as last year, but some of these position groups are strong, like corner, tackle, wide receiver are stronger. So you can make the argument that this is a better overall class than last year. But time will tell. Last year's class was an historically deep class where everybody's like, oh, you could get a very good player later in the rounds and feel very good about it. I think you could do the same thing here. But time will tell which one works out better. We're only in year one from last year's draft. So we'll give them time. For the top 50 players... We have the top five quarterbacks in this draft in Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Top three running backs, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams. We have my top eight wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall Jr., and Rondell Moore rounds out the wide receiver positions for the top 50. Tight ends, we have Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. For odds of tackles, we have Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derrissaw, Tevin Jenkins, Liam Eichenberg, and Jalen Mayfield. For interior offensive linemen, you have Elijah Vera Tucker, Landon Dickerson, Creed Humphrey, and Quinn Miners. 
For defensive tackle, we have Christian Barmore, Levi Onruzuruki, and Davion Nixon. For the edge rushers, you have Quiddy Pay, Jalen Mayfield, Jalen Phillips, Aziz Ojolari, Gregory Rousseau, Jason Owe, Joe Tryon, and Ronnie Perkins. Linebackers, you have Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, Jamin Davis, Zaven Collins, Nick Bolton, and Jabril Cox. Corners, you have Patrick Sertan, JC Horn, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, and Asante Samuel Jr. And then safety, you have Gray or Trayvon Morig. So those are your top 50 players in the 2021. NFL draft, and again, in no particular order, but if I had to do a top three, again, Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase. This list will be printed out as you're listening to the show, so if you haven't gone and looked at it yet, I recommend you go and look at it. The graphic's so great. You should just look at look at it for the graphic. Just the graphic alone should make you smile. It should make you very happy. And on this day, on April 26th, 2018, we had the 2018 NFL draft. So, this draft class was one of the more historic draft classes in regard to how hyped the quarterback room was or a quarterback group was. You had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. Three of them have gone and have very nice success in the NFL, where Lamar Jackson's been unanimous MVP. Josh Allen has made it to an AFC championship game and was an MVP candidate, finished second in the race this year, and Baker Mayfield has had success with the Browns, even though he's had the best rush attack and the best off the line, arguably in the league, sheltering him. So they've all had really good success in the NFL so far. Darnold, he might have some success with the Panthers. Time will tell on that. And Rosen, I mean, I'm sorry, Josh, but it's not looking great for you at this point in time, bud. You've been on four teams in three years and only made it off the practice squad of two of them. The last two, you haven't made it off the practice squad for the 49ers and the uh, the Buccaneers, almost forgot, almost said Dolphins, but he played for the Dolphins badly, but played for the Dolphins. So I just want to go through the first round of this draft, 1 through 32, and say, if give it a thumbs up, medium thumb, like a sideways thumb, and then a downside, like a thumbs down. Starting off at number one, Baker Mayfield, thumbs up. He's had a lot of success so far in the NFL. They just signed his fifth-year option, so good for Baker. Congratulations on getting your fifth-year option, my guy. Uh, yeah, he's had some success in the NFL. Looked good at times, looked very bad at times. But overall, he's been a success. Saquon Barkley, thumbs up. When healthy, one of the best running backs in the NFL, if not the best running back in the NFL. Just has to run behind a horrific offensive line for the Giants that's slowly getting built up. So the pressure will be taken off of Saquon Barkley. Sam Darnold will do a medium thumb. I mean, you more lean towards down, but... I think a lot of people believe Sam Darnold still got stuff left in the tank. It just didn't show in New York, but maybe he figures it out in Carolina. I'll do thumbs down for this point in time because in New York, he looked bad. He looked bad with the Jets. I don't know what people were. I think people were just drinking the Kool-Aid when it came to Sam Darnold and the Jets as a whole, but we'll see how he does in Carolina. I think it's going to be a nice fresh start for Sam. I We talked about that a lot, that this was a perfect place for Sam Darnold to be is Carolina because he got familiarity, coaches that know him, worked it'll work out for Sam, I believe. Uh, Denzel Ward, thumbs up, great corner, one of the more underrated corners in the NFL. His absence was felt last year when he was out, and the Browns secondary should be improved this year because you've got players coming back, Greedy Williams and great Grant Delpit, who they drafted last year, never played a single snap last year. And then John Johnson will come in as well from the Rams. Secondary will be back to normal for the Cleveland Browns. Bradley Chubb, Thumbs up for Bradley Chubb and the Broncos. He's been a nice player. 
for the Broncos, made a Pro Bowl. But yeah, thumbs up. Thumbs up for him. Been a nice partner for uh, Von Miller. Quentin Nelson to the Colts, two thumbs up. I know I said we did thumbs up sideways and down, two thumbs up. This is the best player in the draft. Three first-team All-Pros. He's been in the league for three years. Three first-team All-Pros. I think he's the first person to do that since Barry Sanders. And Barry Sanders is pretty much the what people would consider the greatest running back of all time. You have a lot of different takes on that. I think a lot of people consider Barry, Walter Payton, and Jim Brown as the three greatest running backs of all time, which is sad for <laughs> Emmett Smith, who leads the running backs in yards. But I think most people consider Barry, Walter, and Jim the top three guys, and you can order them however you want. But Quentin Nelson came into the league and was instantly the best offensive lineman in the NFL. Like it, it, it wasn't even a learning curve for him. He just naturally dominated. And people gave him that can't-miss prospect thing and the safest pick in the draft right after he got drafted. And it's worked out very nicely for Nelson and the Colts. Josh Allen to the Bills, thumbs up. Been great. I've loved every second of Josh Allen being here. His rookie year, there was times where it was like, this isn't great, but you saw his ability in there. You saw him make plays, which is why when you look at comparing stats with Josh and some of these other quarterbacks, Josh made plays that made you go, okay, he's got stuff in there. He just needs to figure it out. The other quarterbacks that can compare to him, most notably Drew Locke, haven't really had those times where go, this guy can be special. We thought Drew Locke could be good, but not like Josh where he could make run plays. He could stiff arm D lineman. He could throw a ball 80 yards on his knees. Like that... Plays Josh Allen could made his rookie year, you could go, okay, he'll become something. And this year, he discovered it. He's had a gradual increase throughout his three years in the NFL, and he is now one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Roquan Smith and the Bears, thumbs up. Hasn't made a Pro Bowl, but he's been one of the main cogs in that Chicago Bears defense, which has been one of the better defenses in the NFL. Great player. Mike McGlinchey, we'll do sideways. I, leaning more towards thumbs up, he's been a very consistent starter for the San Francisco 49ers at right tackle. But you just never really hear about him as one of the more dominating tackles in the NFL. He's a good tackle. So I guess you could give it a thumbs up, but sideways to, to all the way thumbs up. Time will tell. Josh Rosen, thumbs down. We already talked about that. Minka Fitzpatrick, thumbs up for both the Dolphins and the Steelers. Dolphins got a first-round draft pick out of it, and he transformed the Steelers' defense. Made them one of the better units in the NFL instantly on his arrival. So he's been a beast since going to the Steelers. Vitavea, thumbs up. One of the better run-clogging defensive linemen in the entire NFL. His impact was felt once he came back from injury into the playoffs with the Buccaneers. Great player. Very similar to that of Haloti Nada in regards to size. And he was big. very big, Literally and metaphorically about he's big body-wise and his presence was big for the Bucs and they're run to the Super Bowl. Then he got Deron Payne. Thumbs up. He's been overshadowed by Montez Sweat and Chase Young, but a lot of people would. But Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, who's not in this draft class, but should get mentioned here, along with Chase Young and Montez Sweat, have made one of the most, one of the best, I almost said most underrated, but I don't think they're underrated, one of the best off defensive lines in the NFL. And people were a little bit surprised when Deron Payne slipped a little bit, but he they, they liked it in Washington. Marcus Davenport, I mean, this was a shocker when they took him. They even they traded up a lot to get Marcus Davenport. Uh, he's just been all right. It's kind of leaning towards the downside, but I'll put it in the middle. It was a weird draft pick when they took him. They traded up from what? They went from... Where did they come from? They went from 27 to 14 to take Marcus Davenport from UTSA. 
who's a very intriguing prospect at the time, but didn't really develop into a lot of develop into anything crazy in his time in the NFL. So just sideways to thumbs down. Colton Miller, sideways to thumbs up. He's been a very nice player for the Las Vegas Raiders. He just signed a new contract, if I'm not mistaken. He's their left tackle. He's been very good for the Raiders. And yeah, he's one of their mainstays in their offensive line from their big <laughs> offensive line exile from this past season. I think the Raiders really like him. And he's been a solid figure for the Las Vegas Raiders since getting drafted 15th overall. The Bills, Tremaine Edmonds, thumbs up. One of the youngest players in the NFL as a whole. He got drafted. I think he was 19 years old when he got drafted. He's 22. He hasn't turned 23 until May 2nd. Like, he's so young. He's a very big dude, very tall and long, which has sometimes hurt him. And he's been a little suspect in pass coverage at times, but he makes plays on defense. So I guess you could argue about sideways, but mostly thumbs up for Tremaine Edmonds. Derwin James, when he's healthy, two thumbs up. Good Lord, this dude's an absolute baller. I don't know how he slipped to 17. His rookie year, first team, all pro, and was a pro bowler. As well, first team all, rookie team, everything. Dude is an absolute baller at the safety position. Swiss Army knife from the safety position can make plays as a free safety, can or as a center fielder, can make plays up against the line of scrimmage and rushing the passer. Beast of a safety. And he just needs to stay healthy. He hasn't been healthy since his rookie year. But when he's healthy, he's one of the best players in the NFL. And I'm not overstating that. He is an absolute beast. For the Packers, Jair Alexander... Two thumbs up, arguably. One of the better corners in the NFL. Absolute beast from the cornerback position. A little undersized, but he locks people down. I don't know how he does it so consistently, but he's an absolute beast at a linebacker spot. Leighton Vander Esch, I mean, sideways thumb to thumbs up. I mean, he's teetering on that mark. He's been, he's been good for the Dallas Cowboys. I'd say he's similar in that to Jermaine Edmonds. But I think Edmonds still got a little bit more upside, and he doesn't have the injury history that Leighton Vander Esch has. But I like Vander Esch. I thought the Bills were drafting him, but Tremaine Edmonds was there and made a lot of sense to go up and get him since he was available. A lot of people expected him to go a little bit sooner than what he did. But Vander Esch has been a good player. Frank Ragnow from the Detroit Lions. Thumbs up to sideways thumb. I mean, he's a good player. Frank Ragnow was the first center drafted. I remember in my last mock draft, or near my last mock draft, my friend Ryan who is from Arkansas, Arkansas Razorback fan, he messaged me and said, you don't have Frank Ragnow in the first round? I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, I didn't put him in there. Thank you for pointing that out. And he's been a good player for the Detroit Lions. Him and Taylor Decker for the Detroit Lions have been the two only consistent things in their offensive line, which has not been great, but they have been two shining parts. of it. Otherwise, the rest of them are kind of suspect. And Taylor Decker has been suspect at times, but Frank Ragnow also suspect, but... He's been a good player for the Lions. Billy Price came in injured. Didn't really know what to expect from him. I sideways thumb to thumbs down. I think he got benched last year. I don't really remember, but their offensive line is tragic. And I, I'm pretty confident Billy Price got benched. I could be wrong about that, but if that's right, it has to go somewhere between thumbs down and sideways thumb. Uh, Rashawn Evans for the Titans. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I haven't really followed a lot of Rashawn Evans since his time in the NFL. Uh, he's been all right in his time for the Tennessee Titans. Nothing spectacular. And I think they got Harold Landry in the later rounds. I had those two going to the Tennessee Titans in two mock drafts. So I'll count that as an absolute dub for me. But Rashawn Evans has been 
all right in his time with the Tennessee Titans since getting drafted. Next on the list of the 2018 draft class is Isaiah Wynn, the offensive tackle from Georgia on the New England Patriots. Super Bowl champion Isaiah Wynn, uh, sideways. He was injured or opted out of last season. He's rotated around the offensive line, played some guard last season, played tackle. It's kind of a mystery on where he plays. They called out tackle when they drafted him because that was the big talking point about Isaiah Wynn was if he's a tackle or a guard. We were trying to figure out what he was. They said tackle. It's kind of like Isaiah Simmons last year's draft, the 2020 NFL draft, where they listed him as outside linebacker. That was the question about where he was going to play, safety, linebacker, wherever. We didn't know. And they came outside linebacker. It was a similar thing here. I would just say sideways thumb for Isaiah Wynn. DJ Moore, thumbs up. One of the more underrated wide receivers in the NFL. And since Robbie Anderson's been there, he and him have made a very nice pairing. One of the more underrated pairings in the NFL as far as wide receiver groups are concerned. He's a really good wide receiver. Hayden Hurst, sideways thumb. He got outplayed by Mark Andrews in Baltimore. The Falcons may very well draft Kyle Pitts in this year's draft. So he's going to get outplayed again. He might get traded. Time will tell on that. You can even say down, thumbs down if you really wanted to. Older player, I think he was 26 or something when he got drafted. He played baseball, went back to South Carolina. Was considered, if I'm not mistaken, the top tight end in the draft. Pretty unanimously, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's just been all right. It is time in the NFL, but you could you could say thumbs down. I'd be fine because you got beat out by a third rounder, Mark Andrews, in Baltimore when you were going to be this insane tight end. Wasn't got traded Atlanta and hasn't really done a lot there either. I like Hayden Hurst, but for a first rounder, it's been questionable. Calvin Ridley, thumbs up, baller. I remember seeing people say he would go a lot earlier than the twenty seventh or the twenty sixth pick in the draft. Dude's a baller. One of the better wide receivers in the entire NFL. He was a fantasy beast last year. Dude's an absolute baller. And the Falcons were, they stole him, pretty much. I remember I was like, wow, they got themselves a steal with the 26th pick getting Calvin Ridley. Absolute beast of a wide receiver. Rashad Penny, this shocked everybody. The Seahawks have a nice way of shocking people when they go to the draft, of overdrafting players. They did that with Jordan Brooks in last year's draft. Rashad Penny... This was confusing. Though he had really good success at San Diego State, the, it, we weren't surprised. We weren't expecting him to go in the first round, and then he instantly, instantly got beat out by oh wow, Chris Car- Car- Carson. Car- geez, Carson instantly got beat out by Carson, and you could say thumbs down, but I think he's kind of developed into that nice second second wave of running back like he's the number two guy and he's done very well in that role and when he's been hurt it has been felt on the Seahawks organization first rounder no but he has now started to become a nice running back in the NFL went from thumbs down easily to we're teetering towards middle but it's you could go thumbs down very easily uh Terrell Edmonds middle I mean he's been all right and the NFL, people were kind of surprised by this. Some people consider this a little bit of a reach by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And him, brother of Terrell Edmonds, or Ter- he is Terrell Edmonds, brother of Tremaine Edmonds, got drive by the Buffalo Bills. Terrell's been all right. Simple as that. He's been outshined by Minka Fitzpatrick. They've been linked with upgrading at him for ever since he pretty much got drafted. Everybody thought it was a little bit of a reach. He's been all right. 
so yeah, that's about all I could say about him. Th- medium thumbs to somewhat in between thumbs down. To he's been all right in the NFL. Taven Bryan, so far thumbs down. I mean, they're still expecting him to be decent in the NFL, but yeah, thumbs down at this point in time. From Florida, I think he only really had one year of big time production while at Florida. I think he transferred from somewhere, but I can't really remember. He's been not great, and people are still like Jaguars fans when you're trying to do draft things look at what the Jaguars should do like especially early in the offseason when you're trying to figure out what teams needs are at that point which is almost stupid to do at that time because no one knows but they're like keep faith in Taven Bryan keep faith in Taven Bryan but he's not been that great since coming to the Jacksonville their rush defense sucks one of the worst in the NFL so yeah he's been a thumbs down at this point Mike Hughes thumbs down terrible he has not been good for the Minnesota Vikings whatsoever it's so much so. He wears number 21 for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, now, Patrick Peterson could have just been doing this to do this, but this was gonna something I was going to end on the show with. Mike Hughes wears 21 for the Vikings. Patrick Peterson, a thousand times better quarter than Mike Hughes ever will be in the desert in Arizona, wore 21. But Patrick Peterson is now the first player that I have seen, first positional player, to change or go with a single-digit number. Patrick Peterson will be rocking the number seven jersey for the Minnesota Vikings. And now we are going to start seeing players use the single digit numbers and it's going to be weird. We're going to go back to the old school NFL days with Paul Horning wearing number five, running around the field and corners wearing these numbers like Dick Knight Chain Lane who had a number in the eighties, if I remember correctly. And I'll, I'm intrigued. I don't dislike it. I think it'll be kind of fun. I do Get the argument of it's a very college and high school thing because it's the NFL. You should like get rid of the childish stuff, but it'll be intriguing to see, see how players like it. It's going to cost a lot if they want to change it. Like Patrick Peterson, the Vikings tweeted after saying this, to acquire number seven, Peterson will donate his new shoulder pads to the Mino, Minomani High School Football Program, Nate Stanley's alma mater, which is in Wisconsin. He's taking Nate Stanley's number, and he had to pay for the number anyways. But, yeah, number seven's coming in. Mike Hughes, overall, has stunk up the building for the Minnesota Vikings. And where's number 21? Sonny Michelle, probably thumbs down. I mean, he's been all right at times. But the Patriots historically run a platoon system. And he has not pushed himself out of that platoon system at all. And has been very overshadowed by James White. Most notably James White. And Rex Burkhead. You're a first-round draft pick. You got drafted before your Georgia teammate, Nick Chubb. Like, you should not be getting shown out by James White and Rex Burkhead, who were great college running backs. I'll give them credit for being great college running backs. But Sonny Michelle should have separated himself at this point in time, and he's been thumbs down to just about the medium thumb for that or sideways thumb. And then finally, Lamar Jackson, thumbs up, easy. I mean, unanimous MVP, uh, led the league in passing touchdowns two years ago. Back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing season. Broke the record for 1,000 yards rushing by an NFL quarterback set by Michael Vick. Like, dude is an absolute baller, and they need to get some creativity on the offensive side of the ball because they're running the same damn plays they ran when he won the MVP, which on one hand's cool because you know they work, but on the other hand, you're running the same plays. People know the calls. People know what you're doing now. You're running the same formations. Your wide receiver room is not great. Marquise Brown can't stay healthy and his hands have been questionable. And then you added an injury-prone 
wide receiver two, the already injury-prone Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins. But you have Mark Andrews. You have J.K. Dobbins. You have a decent offensive line. You just traded Orlando Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs, but he wanted to be a left tackle, so fair play. I get that. Left tackles make a lot more money than right tackles, and he played well at left tackle for the Ravens in Ronnie Stanley's absence. And now he's going to the Chiefs, who instantly improved their offensive line. Good Lord, they got Kyle Long. They got, oh, crap, Austin Blythe. Then they got, wow, who's the guard they got? They got another guard, and then they got Orlando Brown. I'm completely blanking on the on the guard they got. Oh, man, who did they get at guard? Who did they get at guard? There was another guard this offseason that they acquired along with Kevin Long coming out of retirement, but I don't remember. So we're hurrying. We're hurrying to find out who this is, this strange man, mystery man. Reveal yourself. Joe Tooney from the Patriots. That's who it is. I completely forgot who it was. Joe Tooney from the Patriots. I was thinking Dan- DeCastro from the Steelers. I was thinking Matt Filer from the Steelers. But Filer went to the Chargers and DeCastro hasn't left. So I was trying to think of a guy like that. It was Tooney. So they've added four new pieces on the offensive line. Instantly upgraded their offensive line. Left tackles instantly improved. So much better than Mitch, um, not Mitchell Schwartz, uh, Eric Fisher. Great moves by the Kansas City Chiefs. Sadly, for the rest of the NFL. But yeah. That's all I've got for you today on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we've got Mock Draft 7.0 coming out. That should be out on Wednesday. Time will tell on that. Mock Draft, or the draft itself, coming up on Thursday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Exciting stuff's happening here around the world of sports. And I, for one, am here for it. Make sure you sleep in your bed tonight because it's a lot more comfortable than sleeping in your car. So don't do that. (laughs) I will see you guys later. This is Logan Blackman. Go subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I will see you guys later. Peace.